The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or lifehousechurch.org. On November 27, 2007, I went on a run through the streets of Charleston, South Carolina with my family. Looking back on that run, that might have been the last run I ever went on. I really you know, don't remember a time that I wasn't running. Um, I actually was pushed in a baby jogger uh, for a full marathon before I could even walk. And uh, so running is something that I feel like has always been in my blood. Going into my senior year, I, um, I had signed with the University of Georgia. And that year, I'd, I'd gotten injured and uh, diagnosed with something called chronic exertional compartment syndrome. And that's really just a fancy term for saying that there's too much pressure in your calves. And uh, I went to a doctor and he, he said, you know, the only way I'd be able to get rid of it was to have a surgery. And we made the decision to, to move forward to, to have that surgery and uh, ended up having complications in that surgery that caused me to lose about 60% of the muscle from my knee down. But I was determined to run again. Uh, I jumped the fence to the track and, and I got on the starting line and I was gonna race one lap around the track. I remember just taking off around that first turn and, and just hobbling and limping and, and just in so much pain. And as soon as I crossed the finish line, I just fell on my face and just started weeping and was just angry. Uh, I started yelling at God and, and I was just like, why me? Um, it was on that day that I made the decision that I was, I was gonna run from God. I started drinking a lot, I started doing drugs, I started you know, sleeping around with girls and you know, the one thing that I learned in that time you know, about worldly desires is, you know, maybe sometimes I did get high enough where the pain went away or get drunk enough where the pain went away, but um, eventually those highs, you know, came down and the pain came back and they were, they were not, you know, uh, substantial. They didn't last. About six weeks after that, I went and visited a doctor and he looked at me and said, uh, Jared, it's, it's not a matter of if you lose your leg, it's a matter of when you lose your leg. What do you do? Where do you go when all is lost? When life comes at you like a hurricane and it leaves in its wake devastation. The reality is it's not a matter of if or maybe we're going to deal with circumstances that rock our lives and wreck our lives, but every one of us are to go through seasons in life when we face devastation. I mean ruin. And it's not that we necessarily did something wrong. We didn't necessarily deserve the crisis or the disaster, but like a natural disaster coming at us, these things happen in our lives. And then when they pass, they leave our life in, in, in a, it crumbles around us. It's, it, we feel like our life is in ruins. And then, then what do you do? Where do you go? What do you, where do you turn? And, and so I don't know what your story is. I feel like I've interacted with enough that I could say that for some of you, what was left in the wake was a complete loss of dreams, maybe a career that fell apart. Maybe it was a loved one, a relationship, a marriage, maybe your relationship with your kids. Maybe it was a diagnosis that just rocked your life and your family. Maybe a divorce or maybe the death of a loved one. And afterward, you're left holding the battered pieces of life going, this is not the way it was supposed to be. And you, you know you're in one of those moments when that's exactly what you're saying. 
And, and so I, I don't know, I'm looking around, I'm thinking probably many of you have had a moment at least in life when you've looked around and you, you've held the pieces, the, the little fragments left of your life and you've, you've said to someone, or you maybe mumbled it under your breath, this isn't the way it was supposed to be. This isn't what I pictured in my mind. This isn't the way we, we planned this. This isn't what I imagined maybe for a mom. It wasn't what you imagined when you gave birth to your child. It, it wasn't what you thought of your marriage when you stood there and said, I do. It, it's not kind of the way you thought the house, what was going to happen in your home when you bought it. You know, like, this is totally different. This is devastating. And then what? What do you do? Where do you go? And so I want to bring you back to a story of a, a guy who, um, he, he kind of lost everything. And, and his story, maybe a little bit like Jared's, is that he didn't exactly react in like a great way. Now, his story's in the Bible, meaning it's recorded in sacred history, all right? And, and if you fast forward toward the end of his life, he's considered like a hero. He's kind of an example of how we should live our lives. So it's a true story of a real guy and he reacted in a real way. And that's why I think we can appreciate Simon Peter because he's like us. You have these like really holy guys and then there's guys like Peter. They say the wrong thing, they react the wrong way. And so in the middle of his life devastation, he reacts kind of the way you and I would react. He's just a normal guy. He's like, he, he's one of us. And so let me, let me give you the background to Simon Peter's story and then we'll dive right in, all right? Here's the background. So Pete, Simon Peter is this fisherman working with his dad and his brother and some other hired guys, but he's kind of the leader of the group. He, he's the, the rugged individuals. He, he kind of runs the place. He knows how to, how to run the business. Uh, he's successful. He's also kind of brash. And as I've said before, he's kind of got the mouth of a sailor. Day Jesus is coming along and Jesus calls out to Peter and says, hey, I want you to come and I want you to follow me and I'm going to turn you from being a fisherman who's running that business into somebody who you're going to throw uh, a net out and you're going to catch people's lives and you're going to change the world. And so Peter's like, let's go do this. So he begins to follow Jesus and Jesus gathers around him a group of friends and followers. He calls them disciples. And these disciples, they spend three years with Jesus. And Jesus is doing signs, wonders, and miracles. Peter's right there, one of the closest friends and followers of Jesus. But toward the end, Jesus starts talking a little crazy, like a little wild. And he's, saying, he's talking about dying and, and being murdered. Peter's like, no. Nah! Jesus, that is not what we're talking about. And so, you know, Jesus, uh, Peter stops Jesus and says, whoa, whoa Jesus, you're, you're not going to die. In fact, if I have to fight for you, I'm going to make sure you don't die. And Jesus like corrects Peter. He's like, absolutely not. You don't even know what you're saying. You're thinking with the mind of a man, not with the heart of God. And he says to him, get behind me, Satan. Peter's like, what? And, and then... And then Peter and his buddies follow Jesus to a garden. And the story's going to pick up. It's, it's recorded by a guy named Matthew who was within that group. He's one of the close friends and followers of Jesus. Matthew, later on in the story, sits down and writes out, guided by the 
invisible spirit of God to write out the story of the life and teachings of Jesus, even accounting for his eyewitness experience. And so we have that book. It's called The Gospel According to Matthew. Matthew chapter 26, verse 50. We're going to read right there. Here is the moment. Jesus is in this uh, olive grove, this olive garden, and he's kind of with his friends and followers. One of them had slipped away. His name is Judas, had gotten a group of political and religious leaders together, and now they're coming to arrest Jesus. They show up on the scene, and here's what happens next. Then men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword. Uh, Just real quick, you want to guess which of his companions reached for his sword? Yeah, you got it. This is Simon Peter. Like, of course, that's his way, right? So Simon Peter reached for his sword, drew it out, struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you you think I cannot call on my father? And he will at once put my, at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? So Jesus told Peter, Peter, you're going you're gonna to reject me. You're going to deny me. You're going to disown me. And Peter's like, no, absolutely not, Jesus. I'm going to be loyal, and I'm even willing to fight for you. And then at the first test of Peter's devotion, Jesus is arrested, and Peter wants to prove his loyalty. So he pulls out his sword, and he's ready to go just like he promised he would. And so he strikes with the sword while Jesus embraces surrender and suffering. Peter strikes to hurt, and Peter and Jesus reaches out to heal. It's this shocking moment where once again, Simon Peter goes back to his old way of living. He's going to take control, right? He's going to solve the problem. It's the crazy hurricane moment, and Peter's out there ready to face the storm. I got this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to change this story. And Jesus is like, no, that's not how this is going to go down. And again, in the middle of being arrested, Jesus is going to be dragged off, taken to court, tried, and crucified. And in the middle of all that, Jesus stops, heals this man that Peter just cut off his ear, and says, Peter, you got the wrong agenda. You're acting like your old self. You're doing this the wrong way. You're, you're trying to do this in your own strength. You're depending on who you are rather than depending on God. I've got this. You don't think that right now I could call down legions out of heaven to come rescue me if I wanted it? And in the middle of this, he rebukes Peter. And then, okay, so let's go fast forward through the story. Then Jesus is arrested, tried, crucified, buried in a tomb. Now, while that's happening, Peter, confused, thrown off, life devastated, is following the crowd, stands in the courtyard while Jesus is in court, and people begin to question Peter while they're questioning Jesus. Hey, you were one of them. And then Peter kicks into his old self and starts denying that he even knows Jesus. And the third time, he curses. He says, I don't know the man. 
And this rooster crows, because that's what Jesus had said would happen. Before the rooster crows the third time, you're going to deny that you ever knew me three times. And, and when the rooster crows, Jesus from way in the court turns and looks at Peter, seeing that he denied him. And it says that Peter ran out weeping with a bitter, broken spirit. Peter, whose life is devastated, he had all these hopes, all these dreams, all these aspirations of what he was going to become and what him and Jesus were going to do together, how they were going to overthrow the, the Roman Empire. Jesus' response in the middle of all of that, I, I love it. This is um, Luke chapter 22. So again, another account, another eyewitness account, right? Uh, Luke 22, verse 51, it's that moment where, you know, Peter strikes, uh, 22, verse 51. But Jesus answered, no more of this. This isn't how we're going to do this. And he touched the man's ear and he healed him. And I just kind of like, I want to stick that with you. Like, this is what Jesus is doing in the middle of Peter's, like, he, he's just out of control and he doesn't know how to respond and his life is collapsing and his world is caving in around him. And, and what, what's going on in your world? What's collapsing around you and how are you reacting in the middle of the devastation? So now I want to fast forward for you, right? So Jesus dies, he's buried, he's in the ground and it's the third day. Third day, Jesus rises from the dead and uh, people start hearing about it. Word starts to spread. Their close friends and followers are like, Jesus is not dead anymore. He's alive. And, and Peter hears word about this. But he, but he doesn't know what to do. Because his last moment with Jesus was denying him. The last time he ever spoke to Jesus, Jesus rebuked him. And the last time he saw Jesus... Jesus turned just at the moment where he denied that he ever knew him, and he denied him with curse words. So what should be good news, that his best friend is now alive, resurrected from the dead, becomes bitter news in Peter's heart. His life is still devastated. He doesn't know where to turn or where to go, so you know what he does? We're going to jump to the story as recorded by another one of the guys, another one of the eyewitness guys, a guy named John. John records the moment in chapter 21, all right? So Jesus is alive. They know he's alive. This is what Peter does. Check it out. John chapter 21, verse 2. Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I am going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. It's like deja vu for Peter. Peter's been here before. He's gone fishing all night and caught nothing. So some of you have been with me for the last several weeks. You remember first, one of the first times we meet Peter. He's out fishing in a boat all night. And after working all night and caught nothing, he comes to shore where he meets Jesus for one of the first times. And Jesus tells them, hey, go back out into the deep. So they go back out into the water. He says, throw your nets on the other side. They throw their nets out. 
And immediately the nets are filled with fish and he begins to haul in the fish. And, and in that moment, Peter realizes that he's not just in the presence of a good teacher, but he's in the presence of God who has become a man who can command fish to get in the nets. And Peter's like, whoa. And Peter repents before Jesus' help. I'm a sinner. I'm a bad man. Can you help me? And, and so Jesus, at that moment, invites Peter to follow him instead of continue fishing. And here is Peter again out fishing all night, and he's caught nothing. Some of us, that's exactly what we do. We go back to where we've been. When our life gets devastated, we go back to what was safe. We return to what, frankly, wasn't working before. Maybe for you, it was a disaster, a crisis, a relationship that fell apart. It was a, a loss of a career or a dream or a loss of a loved one. And as a result, you went backward in your life. You went back to what didn't work before. That's what Peter did, right? He wasn't, he wasn't successful that one day when he met, the last time he fished, he caught nothing. And now he goes back to fishing and he's caught nothing again. And so many of us, when life falls apart, we go back to what wasn't working before. We go back to our angry ways. We go back to our addictions, to pleasures that, that never satisfied us in the first place. For some, you've gone back into drinking or drugs. You've gone back into pornography or trying to find some other pleasure that you used to use to at least give you a quick fix feeling. But it didn't never work the first time. What makes us think it's gonna work this time? And that's Peter's story. When all was lost, he went back to what didn't work in the first place. But right there, in the middle of the mess, when life and all was lost, something turned around the story. See, Peter is not known for his fishing stories. He's known for a comeback story. His comeback was not one of his own making. In fact, I'll encourage you to write this down. Take notes with me today in your program. There's a place to take notes. You got the study guide that you've been following along with throughout this sermon series. Hopefully you've been using that study guide as you got plugged into a life group. We still have a couple weeks left of our life groups as we're going through this sermon series. Some of those life groups are going to continue uh, beyond this sermon series. If you're not yet plugged into one, I would strongly encourage you. Get plugged into one of our life groups. It's just a great way to connect with people and begin to belong and have good God-led conversations about how you can grow in your relationship with God. So as you're taking notes, here's what I want you to write down. How do you make, how do you make a comeback when all is lost? Be restored. To make a comeback when all is lost, be restored. Now, some of you, as you're writing that down, or maybe you're just staring at me because you're like, that doesn't sound very profound. That, what that sounds like is the hurricane came through, devastated my house, and Patrick's up there with some pithy little statement going, when your life gets wrecked by a hurricane, put it all back together again. It's like Humpty Dumpty, and you're all sitting there going, we're on the king's horse. I don't even have Humpty Dumpty, all the king's horse, and all the king's men. They couldn't put it back together again. Right? And you're saying, yeah, 
That, that little statement doesn't undo the diagnosis. It doesn't give me my job back. It doesn't bring my husband home. It doesn't bring my best friend back to life. But that's not what I'm saying. I, I didn't say recover what was lost. I said be restored. Oh, it sounds good to recover what was lost, to put it all back together again, but you and I both would agree that that's impossible. But it's far more impossible than you and I realize because what is broken, what is ruined, what is devastated is far more devastated than what we can see with the naked eye. It's not just that our marriage fell apart. It's not just that we lost our career or our dreams or a loved one. It's not just that our hearts and lives are ruined by the hurricane force of life. It's that there is something deep inside of us that is ruined. Ruined by a force called sin. Sin, which has corrupted us and ruined us from the inside out. First, we were ruined inside. Sin, which is like a driving engine in our heart that drove you and I straight into the brick wall. It's devastated our, our emotions, our mind, but worse, sin has devastated our spiritual well-being. Sin that driving desire that pushes us away from God and toward our own self-interest. That drive drove us smack into destruction. As a result, the consequence of sin is that we are cut off from relationship with God, cut off from life with God, cut off from love, cut off from forgiveness, cut off from everything good and right. Outside of relationship with God, you and I, because of sin, are on a crash course trajectory, not just with ruin in this life, but with eternal ruin. See, it's worse than you thought. Welcome to Lifehouse. It's great to have you guys here today. I hope you're, no, right? Like, like this is not good news. Sin, which wrecks us from the inside out, it destroys us spiritually also, is what's causing the hurricane force of devastation in and around our lives. That's even what's causing all of the ruin in the world around us, is we, have, we live in a world corrupted by sin. Even our weather patterns, even our systems of the world, our politics, our economy, is corrupted by sin. That's what's causing the devastation around you. So, it's worse than we thought. But in the middle of all of that, in the middle of how bad it all is, God shows up on the scene to restore us to life. How can I say that? Well, let me read to you a little bit more of the story, right? So here is Peter and his friends. They're out fishing all night. They catch nothing. Life like a hurricane, has devastated them. Peter has nowhere to turn. He has rejected Jesus. And Jesus said to him before he left, he said, hey, Peter, you're going to fail me. And Peter's like, I'm not going to fail you. Remember, like, you know, I'm going to fight for you. And Jesus is like, no, you will. And by the way, when you do, you're going to feel really guilty and ashamed. And you're not going to want to come anywhere near me. You're going to feel like I'm far away from you, even though I'm going to come to you. But when I come to you, I'm going to forgive you. And when I forgive you, you're going to go out and encourage other people. John chapter 21, verse 4. Early in the morning, remember they fished all night, they caught nothing. Jesus stood on the shore. There he is. There he is in your life. In the middle of the devastation, when you went back to what didn't work before, 
in the middle of your hangover, in the middle of that, when you wake up that next morning laying next, laying next to somebody you shouldn't be laying next to, when you come home after having done what you shouldn't have done, when you're sitting by yourself thinking through your regret and your shame, there's Jesus standing on the shore. But the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. He called out to them, listen to this, friends, have you, haven't you any fish? Like, do you guys have any luck out there? <laughs> no, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. You, you've been here before, right? Like, this is like a story we've heard before. We're like, wait, what? When they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. Here's what happens. So Peter blows it. He goes back to what didn't work before. He fails Jesus. Jesus comes and finds him right where he was before. Hey, guys, any luck fishing? Nope. Throw your net on the other side. And you can start seeing the wheels turning in Peter's mind, right? He's like, wait, this sounds awfully familiar. They throw the nets out, and then there's this huge catch of fish, and Peter's like, yes, I have definitely been here before. See, the, the story goes like this. Jesus Christ dies on a cross. He takes the collective death sentence, the eternal judgment that we all deserve on himself so that when he dies, he dies the eternal death payment once for all so that anyone who believes in Jesus Christ by faith can be forgiven of their sins and given new life. Then he doesn't just die, he rises from the dead, conquering death itself, defeating the grip of sin so that we're loosed from the power of sin and the hold it has in our life. And then finally, Jesus frees people from the eternal judgment that every one of us face so that anyone who believes in Jesus Christ by faith is forgiven of their sins and given new life so that through that moment, the story is not that Peter, after denying Jesus, came looking for him. That's not the story, right? Peter ran away. Peter went back to what wasn't working. Peter blows it again. Jesus comes looking for Peter. Jesus comes back to his friends. Friends, friends, I'm calling, come back to me. Right, like the story is not, I came to Jesus and now I'm a winner and my life is awesome. The story is, I failed, Jesus never failed, Jesus forgives me, Jesus is awesome. <laughs> That's the story. Your story is radically changed because Jesus is standing on the shore of your life in the midst of the devastation, the ruin. Not to help you recover all that has been lost, but to restore from the inside out what has been most fundamentally broken. See, if you just got back everything you've ever lost in your life, you would still be totally broken inside. So what God does is through Jesus Christ heals us from the inside. He restores our life from the inside. What, what does that look like? What does that sound like to make a comeback through faith in Jesus? So we're going to share a little bit more of Jared's story with you. Check this out. June 22nd, 2010, I went in at 20 years old and had my leg amputated. I'm 
six weeks and a day after that amputation, I walked pain-free for the first time in four years, and 12 weeks after that amputation, I ran for the first time in four years. From day one, you know, it's been, let's go to London. You know, let's let's have you know, an amazing opportunity to share your story to in front of millions of people. And when I had the amputation, the goal was to qualify for the Paralympics. Um, about eight weeks before the trials, I ended up getting uh, diagnosed with bursitis, which is basically inflammation in my um, in my stump. And I was on the, on the couch for for about six weeks, not able to run, not able to to wear my leg. And and he just shared with me in that moment. He said, "Jared, he said, you know, you, you don't have to be in London. You don't have to be on a huge stage for me to use you." He said, "I can use you right where you are." I was able to run in the Paralympic trials and qualify for the team in the 400 and 4 by 100 meter relay. Each of us had you know, terrible exchanges. I actually ended up tripping uh, in my exchange and almost falling. And about five minutes after we took our victory lap, we found out that we'd been disqualified through the first exchange. One of the guys had stepped on the line, and, and uh, it was just kind of a devastating moment. I was sitting there that night, fairly frustrated in my room, and, and just kind of asking God, you know, what was what, what's the purpose? God just shared with me in that moment. He said, Jared, he said, I've, I've given you an amazing story. He said, when you go back home, how many more people are you going to be able to share this, your experience with um, that can relate to a trip more than they can an Olympic medal? Coming into this next year of training and, and focusing on World Championships in 2013 in Lyon, France, and ended up qualifying in both the 100, the 200, and the 4x100 in Lyon, France. In the prelims of the 200 meters, I actually ended up breaking a world record. But one question you know, that kept coming up was, are you, are you gonna go faster tomorrow? And, you know, and the thing that the Lord just kind of shared with me then is they weren't satisfied. He said, but I, you know, I am satisfied in you and you can find your satisfaction in, in me. And uh, waking up the next morning, I'm sitting there and you know, getting ready for the, for the finals of the 200. And, and God just reminded me, Jared, the race has already been won. Um, all I'm asking you to do is just simply show up and let my light shine through you. I got onto the track that evening. The gun went off, and all I really remember was coming off the turn with you know not being able to see anybody in my peripheral vision and crossing the finish line um, and winning a gold medal and, and breaking the world record again that I'd broken the day before. I hope you heard it. The, the principle is not, I came to Jesus, he forgave me, now look how awesome I am, I'm a winner. It's Jesus came to me. He forgave me. He turned my life around. Look how awesome Jesus is. Here's the continuation of the story. Then the disciples whom, the disciple whom Jesus loved, referring to Simon Peter, or or referring to John, uh, said to Peter, it's the Lord. Like they're like hauling in the fish, this big catch, and they're like, wait, wait, wait. And they're all like, we've been here before, deja vu. It's Jesus, it's the Lord, right? And, and he, uh, as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and he jumped in the water. Like he goes swimming after, like he jumps out, and he's like, I gotta get to Jesus. Like how, what, a, what an incredible moment. I wanna make sure you don't miss it, because this is the principle. Th- this is a key. In the middle of life's devastation, whatever your story is, whatever has been thrown at you, whatever is currently rocking your world, whatever is going to come next, in the middle of the wake of devastation, 
When you realize Jesus has come to you, he's waiting for you on the shore, like Simon Peter, the moment you realize it, you jump and you go running to him. Why? What's the principle here? It's this. Um, to be restored, or we are restored through friendship with Jesus. You all know this. In the middle of your life collapsing around you, what you and I really need is a friend. We know that we can't put it all back together. We know that real life is messy. We know that real life is painful. But what we really need is just somebody to hold our hand, right? Just to know that somebody is with us. And this is Peter's moment. He goes, wait, the only way my life is going to get put back together, the only way I'm really going to recapture what I've most lost is if I could just regain relationship with Jesus. And so he jumps out. He goes rushing to Jesus, right? It's about friendship with Jesus. Here's how this plays out. Peter has denied Jesus. Peter has thrown his life away. Peter has uh, sinned. Peter has gone back to what failed before. Peter is right back in the middle of a messy way of living. Peter has gone back to his old lifestyle. Jesus comes to him. Jesus pursues him. Jesus does a new miracle in Peter's life. Jesus died for Peter. Jesus died to forgive Peter's sins. Jesus died to pay the death penalty that was on Peter's life. And then Jesus shows up on the shore and says, hey, friends, let's go fishing again. The moment Peter realizes it's Jesus, he jumps out and rushes to Jesus. And for you and I, when our life is devastated, when everything has fallen apart, the the only and best response is for us to be restored through friendship with Jesus. Here, Here it is. When your instinct is to go back to what is normal, press into a friendship with God. Your, your sin nature is going to try to get you to go back to what wasn't working. Get back to what makes you feel good. You're gonna, it's going to push you to go back into numbing yourself with entertainment, trying to go back to using pleasure to make yourself feel better again. You're going you're to want to fall back into those addictive behaviors again, right? But the key is that you and I resist that instinct to go back to what was normal and instead press into a friendship with Jesus which turns everything around. What what does it look like for you to have friendship with Jesus? It means that rather than trying to recover what was lost, realize that Jesus Christ has already died and rose again to give you new life, a new and different life, one that no amount of wealth or career or relationships is ever going to make you feel better. You already have more than you could possibly imagine through friendship with Jesus. See, this changes everything when you know that God loves you, that Jesus has come to you. And so Peter, far later in his life, he writes letters to the church that he helped pastor. It's found in 1 Peter, his first letter, chapter 1, verse 3, where Peter is writing, and he says this, in his great mercy, referring to God, revealed through Jesus, he has given us a new birth. He's given me a new life. Peter, after writing this, not too many years later, is going to be put to death, crucified upside down in Rome, And yet he's the guy looking at his life going, I have an unbelievable life because of God's mercy. I have received a new birth. I am not what I once was. God who is merciful, 
who loves me and forgives me of sin has made me a new person inside. It doesn't matter what's going on on the outside. Inwardly, I am restored, forgiven, given new life. And then he continues as he writes this. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Here's what he's saying. He goes, because Jesus Christ died on a cross and he rose again from the dead, I am made new, I have a new life, and because I have new life, I am restored, and as a result of that restoration, I have a living hope. Be restored by embracing hope. Hope. Hope is what people all around the world look for in the middle of complete loss and devastation. But our hope is not that a house is gonna be rebuilt. Our hope, which is recovery, our hope is not that the diagnosis will be treated and will heal, which is recovery of health. Our hope is not that a spouse is gonna come home, which will be a recovery of a relationship. Our hope is found through the restoration that comes through Jesus Christ, which means this, no matter what goes wrong, no matter what is lost, no matter what is ruined, my hope is found in the fact that I have deep personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And when I know that I am a friend of God, then it changes my view of the world around me. Then I know that Jesus is walking with me as a friend through every circumstance, through every trial, through every loss. He's there with his arm around me at the funeral. He's there with me in the hospital. He's there with me when I am in bed weeping because of the brokenness of my heart. See, now I have a friend who gives me hope. My hope is not in what I can recover in this present moment. My hope is in the fact that my life doesn't end in death, but that death ends in life, and then I will go on living for all eternity. My hope is that today I have a friendship with God who gives me strength and encouragement, who is my peace, who is my helper, who is my restoration. And because I am restored to right relationship with God, I have hope for tomorrow. But not just tomorrow, I have hope for eternity. I am not putting my hope in the government. I am not putting my hope in law enforcement. I am not putting my hope in the economy. I am not putting my hope in a job or a paycheck, in a relationship. My hope is alive because it's anchored in Jesus Christ who is alive. He is my living hope. Now I wanna invite you to respond. Some of you, you've been trying to put your life back together, trying to recover what was lost, thinking like Peter, you could do it in your own strength. Some of you are striking out with the sword while Jesus suffered. You're reaching out to hurt when Jesus reached out to heal. So you're like Peter, you're trying to do it in your own power, and it's time for you to stop trying so hard to do this yourself, and it's time to surrender to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Jesus has come to you, and he calls you friend. And all he's asking is that you would respond, and he's calling you, would you respond to him and come? And so here, here's what I encourage you to do. If that's where you're at right now, your moment is to respond to Jesus, invite him to become your Lord and your Savior, to become your friend. 
Ask him to forgive you of your sins and give you new life by allowing God's spirit to enter into your spirit. If that's where you're at, then that's your moment. Others of you, you believe in Jesus by faith, but some of you have wandered back to what didn't work before. And it's time for you to come back to Jesus Christ, to stop trying those old ways of living. And like Peter, return to friendship with Jesus. And then finally, there's some of you, you've been going through some tough stuff. You've lost hope because you put your hope in a recovery that's not going to come. And even if it came, it wouldn't put your life back together again. It's time to find your hope alive in Jesus Christ. And so that requires a spiritual moment. That requires God to do something in your heart and life. And I believe that God is present right here. I believe that God is present among us. God is present with those that are online right now. Those of you that are watching this on video, God is present with you. He wants to speak to your heart. He wants to call you back to himself. He, like Jesus, is saying, friend, come to me. So would you respond right now, allow God's spirit to speak to your spirit and do a supernatural healing restoration work in your life? Would you take a moment? Would you pray? Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church, located in Hagerstown, Maryland. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.